Hello and welcome to the first Newspeak of 2023. I'm joined, as usual, by the director and founder of the New Culture Forum, Peter Whittle, and Hi, by Emma. senior fellow historian and royal expert, <laughs> Rafe Hadelmanku, which is very important to this week's episode <laughs> because there is only one thing in the news this week and last week as well. In fact, so far it has consumed all of 2023, all of the column inches, yeah. and that is uh, Harry's reveal all autobiography and these two ridiculous interviews that he's given. So, Rafe, would you like to take us through oh, gosh, I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. all 417 pages? Well, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's sick to the back teeth of, uh, <laughs> yes, of yes. Harry and, uh, you know, um, Mono Ono, whatever her name is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I was w watching the, the last of the interviews, you know, I just thought, you know, I was sort of channeling my inner Churchill. Never in the field of human history has one man moaned so much about so little. It was just, you know, and I think actually, in terms of this country at least, this book has backfired hugely. Mm -hmm. uh, people are seeing quite how petty he is. And um, just throughout this whole episode, you just keep thinking, thank goodness he is the second son. And that we actually do have uh, in the future king and Prince mm. William and, and, and Kate as queen, such a wonderful couple. And I would only advise them to stop flying with their children, as they have done quite a bit in the past few years, because we can't risk a King Harry and a, and a, and a Queen Meghan. Didn't they actually, there used to be a policy actually about flying together. There is, that's precisely the point. Mm. And, uh, and uh, they've broken that policy on a few occasions. And I mm. think this just sort of focuses the mind on this. Because actually Harry isn't really the spare anymore. He hasn't been a spare for, 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 a good, for a good many years. He's far low down the pecking order. And the other thing is, you know, around the world there are other monarchies, all of whom have spares, and they've all managed to find their own roles in life without firebombing mm -hmm. their families. I mean, this just really shows, I think, that, that we have this uh, pampered prima donna basking in, in the sun in Montecito, who's completely out of touch with reality. And I think it particularly sticks in the craw, all of these... Uh, alleged uh, attacks that he's had to go through through his life when we're going through a cost of living crisis mm -hmm. you know people are seeing genuine suffering uh, they've got you know problems with homelessness we've got the uh, heating crisis people are deciding whether to heat or eat over the Christmas period and here we have someone moaning about the fact that you know his evil stepmother changed his bedroom into a dressing room after he left home I mean spare me <laughs> mm. I think I mean I agree with all of that the thing that sort of strikes you as well is that here is someone who is sort of soaked in therapy now mm -hmm. and I mean you can what you a horrible can, image <laughs> yes you, you get all the the same uh, expressions the same mm. way of speaking and it's what happens really when when people who are not that bright get soaked in therapy they become fascinated with the internal workings of their own mm -hmm. brain and you can see this coming out with Harry. But the thing is, I found the interview with uh, Tom Bratby actually quite quite boring after a while, after 90 minutes of it. The one with uh, the guy who looks like Paul O'Grady, um, Anderson, Anderson Cooper. Um, <laughs> I th that one was actually <laughs> was better because they edited it in a very, very professional American way. But what really worries me and what I don't like about this is the way in which this is being used in a wider cultural sense as an attack on Britain. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, it really is. Britain is sort of under the cost really in the culture wars at the moment, and particularly in America. I, I think I've said it on this show before, but you know, people used to, when the wars went to America before, they were so well welcome, and huge crowds came out. I think those days now are finally gone, um, and I think it's also partly down to 
things like this mm -hmm. and this this as you say this prima donna and and, and somebody as well who um, has zero self-awareness mm -hmm. there are a lot of even just scrolling through the you know the book that you there are a lot of things in there that are these like tiny little petty things and then there are the mm -hmm. ones that were leaked early um, as these big bombshell revelations and obviously they've been accused of hypocrisy by a lot of people because they've revealed all of these things about Prince Charles, Camilla, William, Kate, mm. things that they that he has absolutely no right to be revealing, not just about his family but about anyone. Um, and he's been so protective of his private life that that seems extremely hypocritical. But are there, are there any things in there that you think stood out to you as being particularly grave? Well, I think, well, there are two things primarily. Uh, one, of course, is his military um, um, mm -hmm. indiscretions by actually naming how many people he actually killed. I mean, no, I don't know anybody in the army or the armed forces who ever has actually named that. It's, it's ghost beyond the extreme, you know. Uh, Harry's got two families, the royal family and the military, and this book betrays both of them. Mm -hmm. um, and but the also, the, it's also the security. It's, it's the security risk, you know. He he was uh, suing the the government for not giving him security when he came over here, and said he wouldn't bring his family here because it's too unsafe. Mm. Well, he's just made made it a lot more unsafe by, by bragging about this. And we've already had one of these extreme radical Islamists in this country say that Harry's a war criminal. We've had the Taliban saying that as well. And all it takes is one lone wolf. To be um, to take the rhetoric of the Taliban or of ISIS or whatever to heart, and we've got coming up in four months the coronation. We have hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people about to descend on central London, and mm -hmm. I think it was gravely irresponsible and incompetent of Harry to do this. And you sort of have to ask: Is there nobody at Random House Publishers who actually yeah. went through this book and thought, "Hello, this is you know, the ghostwriter did it." The editor managed to overse uh, oversee this. Harry clearly read it because he's he's read the audio book, and no one seemed to think there was anything wrong with, with saying this. And we've had uh, Di Davies, the head of the Royal Protection, for, for many years, saying he hasn't been this worried about Royal Protection for 25 years. We've had Kim Darrow, the former National Security Advisor, saying this was a mistake. And we've had Lord West saying that he's putting in ri at risk the uh, the Invictus Games as well. I mean, ridiculous. It's amazing that he... <laughs> Is, you know, you were describing this focus on his own psychology mm. that they've become this amba these ambassadors for the emoting, fragile snowflake generation. Um, and for him to think that his need, to, his, the therapeutic need that he has to reveal that he's killed, was it 25 um, Taliban, takes precedence over the safety of his family and also the safety of the British people because if there's a terror attack at the coronation it's more likely to harm even children in the audience so for all of his talk about wanting to protect his family he doesn't seem to have very much concern no, for other people's families no but that's that, that's that, that's the, that's the classic syndrome you see actually mm -hmm. there's zero real empathy mm -hmm. there's the ability to put yourself in someone else's position mm -hmm. he's now he he's full of this stuff mm -hmm. he's full of the the um, the words, if you like, the language, but actually, it's the real feeling is still mm -hmm. a stranger to him. I mean, I would add for me, most one of the most important thing about all this is, of course, the security angle. But it was this racism thing mm -hmm. that back with Oprah, um, he said, you know, a senior member of the royal family. I think he said senior. You know, he said something about Archie's skin, blah blah. blah uh, implication was race, and uh, of course, we had nothing about this in the book. And in fact, it's been allowed to fade away a bit. 
It was brought up in the ITV interview by Tom Bradby. Uh, but I think he just said, um, I will never actually say uh, who it was. And he said this in a kind of, so this was a very honorable thing. But what he's done is the worst thing of all. He's left this kind of, you know, question mark hanging well, over. Apparently the whole now he's denying. Family. He's even denying that they, that him and Meghan ever accused the royal family of racism, even though there's an entire sort of, sort of strand of the docu series where they interview people like Gahinde Andrews, David Olasoga, Afua Hirsch about racism, colonialism. That that it was it was edited into the very structure of the docu series. Do you so, really think, though, Emma? that they even know, or at least Harry knows who those people are. We're steeped in this stuff. We know who they are, those mm. academics, you know, we know. Do you think he even really knows what they think or even understands well, what they there's think? there's a big question mark over whether he's even actually read his own book. Yeah, the, because the, contra <laughs> the, contra well, the contradiction, well, we know he's done the audio book for it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the contradictions are, are, are major in this. But yeah, I want to go back to this point. You know, people have to remember the firestorm that occurred when they said that somebody in the royal family asked what color the baby would be mm. given it's a mixed marriage now i don't know what black family haven't asked the same sort of question yes, if, if exactly. their mm. if their son or daughter married a white person it's entirely natural mm. there's nothing racist mm. in that at all but the fact that they didn't address it or they had the chance even in that oprah winfrey interview to mm. correct the record they didn't but then when it all blew up and this firestorm engulfed the world and the royal family were being called racist around the world mm. they had months to come in and correct the record and the fact that they didn't, that dereliction of duty, I think is absolutely unforgivable. Mm -hmm. And then to now sort of magnanimously say, oh, they weren't racist, that there's no one, in, I know the royal family and they aren't mm -hmm. racist, this may be unconscious bias or something. I think that's absolutely unforgivable, just as it's un unforgivable mm -hmm. that he also says, oh, Lady Susan Hussey, who of course was mm -hmm. accused of racism for asking, um, you know, Ungozu Fuluni, the, who came there dressed like an extra from the Lion King to Buckingham Palace, that, you know, where, where are you from? Mm -hmm. um, He's now said, oh, there's not, she hasn't got a racist bone in her body. Well, why didn't you say that mm. when this was actually heating up? Yeah. A simple statement from you, one paragraph or one sentence. Silence, <laughs> silence is violence, silence is betrayal. I think, this, the, mm. I think those two things are absolutely up there amongst the most unforgivable. You mentioned the, the people who would have gone through the book in, in advance of it being published and how many people probably were involved in that process. And one point that's been made is that there, that there seems to be some kind of surprise um, with the, the sorts of headlines that have come out as a result of this, that it seems that Harry didn't see this coming. And you would have thought that someone would have sat down with him because I think the point is that, um, that you know, you said that this yourself, this is, a lot of this is an own goal. Um, if anything, he's made himself look worse and attacked himself more than he has attacked his family. So, do you, who do you who do you think is more harmed by this, Harry or the royal family and the institution of the monarchy? I, I think that uh, the, the problem is. I mean, obviously, you were saying you know the clips that you've been putting out on your own site, uh, right? You know, uh, some of them have attracted very um, pro Harry anti royal feeling, and I think uh, I would say that. Because we know the nuance and the history and everything here, uh, probably it's damaged Harry hugely here, even though people still want to buy the book, it seems, 400,000 copies or something. But I think in America, it's probably damaged permanently, actually, the Royal Family. Although a lot of the American press seem to have turned on them. So even the New York Post no, said that it accused them of a whinge fest, said that it was becoming tiresome. 
um, Megyn Kelly went through this whole like litany of things that the American press on the left have been saying, complaining about Harry and Meghan. So I'm wondering whether actually they've pushed it too far and their pettiness, their obvious narcissism, the self-obsession, the lack of perspective. Because America, as well as in the UK, America is also facing all sorts of crises. Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of flack from Americans saying, don't say that Americans like Harry and Meghan. It's the California mm -hmm. set, it's the two coasts. It's mm -hmm. the old, it's, you know, it's, it's New York, it's Los Angeles, it's Hollywood who likes Harry and Meghan, the rest of the country doesn't. So, I should, so when we speak about America, I think it's, you know, the same sort of elites that run the BBC and our institutions rather than the actual nation mm -hmm. as a whole. But yes, you had formerly sympathetic uh, voices in the American media, very influential daytime hosts like Don Lemon and others saying that uh, this book is gauche, that they've said that he's a, he's a man baby. And then you've had him openly mocked on their influential <laughs> late night TV shows, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, where he's got two chaps dressed up like Prince <laughs> having a fight. So it's making a mockery of the wider royal family too at the same time. Mm. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right in that regard. But in that respect, maybe his reputation, so here in the UK, we see his reputation and the royal family's gen uh, reputation far from being connected to each other. We see them as being separate well, whereas in the US a... if, if, if Harry's reputation is damaged in the US because they're still be viewed in the US as being part of the royal family more so than they're perceived here maybe that actually does damage our monarchy's reputation because Harry's behaving like a man child well the problem is a lot of people especially in those parts of America but also here too are taking everything that Harry says as gospel mm. so they don't know where he's lying so when he says, for example, that King Charles never hugged him when, he, when his mother died, for example, well, we now know that when the Queen Mother died, he said he was at Eton. He was actually in Switzerland skiing, you know. Mm -hmm. That was in 2002. So if his memory can be that skewed by, yeah. you know, 2002 being told of your grandmother's death, who, who's to say in 97 told about your mother's death, you, you didn't just blank out something like that. So there's a lot of stuff in this mm -hmm. book. And of course, we haven't had the side from uh, King Charles, from Prince William, which could a completely different slant on the events that William thank goodness we Harry's put out. Thank goodness, thank we, goodness haven't. we haven't. You know. But I think a lot of people are just buying into his narrative, mm -hmm. even though those of us who are experts can see where the errors are and where the complete mm -hmm. distortions of the truth are. How would you respond to those who think that William should do a sit-down interview that, oh, that no. the royal family should respond? No, 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 no. That's playing their game. Mm -hmm. um, no, look, one thing that we are in very short supply of now culturally is dignity. Mm. Even to say the word, I, you can see I'm slightly wincing. You know, one has to say it in between quote marks. Um, I think that the royal family have actually been very dignified. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think about it, you know, you, you're talking about your father and the way mm. that he behaves, and uh, talking about your losing your virginity. Uh, that's real uh, dignity, isn't it? Uh, I think that and wetting himself, wetting yes, himself all, all of these Megan. things, <laughs> uh, just, just and also some of the strange things he comes out with about the universe speaking to him and sea lions and things like this. Sea lions, yeah, it, we don't know all this straight one. Straight up California, <laughs> but I think the thing is really the only thing that what I really take heart at is that in the nineteenth century, the famous constitutionalist uh, Walter Badgett, you know, uh, said, "You must never let daylight in upon magic." He was talking about the Victorian monarchy. We've had about as much daylight let in as is possible, and it's still here. So I would say, if I'm going to take the long, the long mm -hmm. view, um, basically it shows that the monarchy is even stronger than maybe Badger thought. Mm -hmm. That in fact, if we've had Diana in the 90s, which I would say, I don't know about what, what, you, what you think about this actually, but I'd say that that was far more 
serious, actually. I mean, you know, you had much beloved Princess of Wales saying that the future king was not actually up to the job. You had all of this. It was huge. You know, when you were still, mm -hmm. you know, twinkling, when, you were about <laughs> when four she years died. Old. So. Well, no, this was before. This was 91, yeah. 92 ish. Uh, that was a big deal. Big daylight there. We've got it again now. Uh, yeah. But the monarchy show remarkable mm -hmm. resilience, actually. I mean, that's, that's what I take from yeah, I, I would like to quote Charles de Gaulle, who said, prestige cannot survive without mystery, for one reveals little what one knows well. And I think that applies to mm -hmm. Harry, particularly here. Yeah, I mean, Diana's death was, Diana's death was also the death of traditional Britain, mm -hmm. that stoical Britain mm -hmm. with a stiff upper lip, mm -hmm. uh, resilient, as we saw people, you know, wailing and crying over a woman they hadn't met, crying more than they had shed tears over probably mm -hmm. their own grandparents' parents' death. So that ushered in this new age of emotion which we're seeing it's now writ large with Harry. That when, in Harry's account of um, going out in that famous footage of him going out with William to greet the crowds just after Diana had died. And he, 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 he talks about how he could feel um, that their hands were wet. And at the time he didn't realize. So I don't buy, I don't buy it. it, I don't buy it. Oh, but I was, mean, it was wet from flowers, I'm sure. But Sorry, you can't get wet hands. I mean, you've got to be gushing. <laughs> but you know. what's interesting about, what, what I was gonna say is that what's interesting about his account is that far from contrary to what you're saying, the idea that this over-emoting was a, a, a bad thing um, and that stoicism is a good thing, um, he turns that on his head and, and for him they are doing the psychologically healthy thing and it's him and, and William who are psychologically stifled because they can't weep because they were, yeah, had a stiff upper lip, they continued to go about doing their duty. And so it seems that Harry's had a real um, change of heart at some point, um, even maybe from when he was doing his military service, where he has really fully, maybe it's the sort of the Californian air or something, no, but has really thrown yeah, himself it's, it's, into you that. Have to look at, you have to look at the timeline, right? Yeah. Two, two, 2012, he was on his second tour of duty in Afghanistan, uh, where he killed 25 Afghanis, apparently with no remorse whatsoever, easy to basically cut himself off from the emotion of that. 2016, he uh, meets Meghan Markle. 2019, he's scared because his brother broke his necklace and he smashed his, his dog dish and he's on the phone immediately, not to his wife, but to his therapist. Now, if you're going to ask when did the soldier prince become a soy boy, I would say it's post-2016 when, <laughs> when he's been involved, when he's been involved with Meghan Markle, who's opened him up to this bizarre world of alternative medicine, uh, re you know, taking experimental recreational drugs that are mind-altering, and also having meetings with psychics to contact his mother and this energy practitioner who claims to be able to heal depression, to mm -hmm. heal PTSD, even to heal breast cancer just through channeling energy. So and this is would. where he's actually getting his, his, uh, you know, his therapy from. And clearly after seven years, it hasn't worked. And mm -hmm. he's in a he's much more troubled man today than he was then. And you would think, well, maybe if you mm -hmm. eliminated the therapy. And that was my point about Diana. William seems to be the, 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 the standard bearer for traditional Britain. Yeah. That stoicism and the stiff upper lip. And Harry for mm -hmm. this modern Britain created post his mother's death. Well, the thing is, is, is that exactly because he says in the book, uh, Megan went, when he, she first met William, she went to hug him. And he recoiled, right? Now, I'm sorry, I think, you know, bravo, good on you, William, actually. I mean, I don't like being hugged by strangers. When I was living in America, it was all the time you, hugging. It, you get it here now, right? People hug. And you sort of, it, to the traditional British kind of view of these things, 
this is sort of just shows emotional uh, superficiality to mm -hmm. me. I mean, it, it just means, come on, if you're if you're kind of hugging uh, a total stranger, what does your hug really mean? Mm -hmm. You know, when it, it's when, also, it, when, when it, it's someone important to you. It's also one way as well, not just one way when it comes to Harry and his emotions and everything, his hypocrisy. But it's also one way on the cultural front because they're always whinging about how Meghan was misunderstood, Meghan wasn't respected because she's American, she has her American ways. But what about respecting the traditional British way of doing things mm. when she does her little curtsy and, and the, the way that, like you just described, that William's recoiling is painted as being something personal to do with Meghan rather than to do with yes, culture. But, but yes, but also there are too many people, I would say now, who also don't like that kind of stoicism in this country. Mm -hmm. It's a shame. You know, uh, no, seriously, this is what, you know, happened with Diana. You know, there used to be this, you know, mm -hmm. dinner party game, Queen or Diana. And we all knew what it meant. Someone who basically kept their emotions, you know, hidden to the point of almost seeming coldness. And then Diana who let it all hang out. And uh, basically, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know, you had to pick your side. But in fact, who really believes even now in the stiff upper lip? Well, I, I just want to go back to an early point that you were making. Mm -hmm. Does Harry has Harry read his own book? Mm -hmm. I think he's blind to actually to a lot of what he's actually said, or he doesn't really understand the implications. And he has a very sort of altered reality when it comes to the things that he said. He was asked in one of the interviews, "Don't you think you're being persistently scathing towards your family?" And he said, "No, I haven't been scathing to my family or my or my stepmother." In the same interview, in which he said that she was a dangerous villain who had left bodies in the road. In which, in which he said that his family had gotten into bed with the devil, and in, and in which he said that um, they had been complicit in the pain and suffering that Megan endured at the hands of the media. I don't know what dictionary he's using, but I would say scathing. You've more than exceeded that in this book. I mean, but you know, how does he actually mm -hmm. reconcile these two things? Well, that leads me perfectly on to the final question before we move on to the next subject, which is, how far do you think their truth is from the truth? Because you mentioned. Um, Harry calling up his therapist rather than Megan immediately calling the therapist after he fell on the, do the dog bowl and hurt his back. Um, but that suggests that this whole narrative that they've been spinning for however long about Megan not being able to access mental health support must be nonsense if he had a therapist on speed dial like that. So that's just one of many examples. But do, how far do you think we can even trust the account? in this book or anything that he says in any interviews i think i think his his truth truth rests firmly in planet sussex which is in <laughs> another galaxy far away from our own and i don't know what, what more to say the number of contradictions i've just met, mentioned when his mother died do you think you'd remember mm. where you were when your mother died and then he's actually in a different country <laughs> in, mm. on a ski trip in switzerland rather than in his bedroom in eton such glaring discrepancies and, and errors calls into question so much else in the in the book too the, the veracity of his statements uh, I, yeah, I don't know I, I, nothing more to say on it I think I mean I think you know it, it, they probably believe everything they say on any given day I mean mm -hmm. that's the nature of this subjective truth isn't it I think the main thing is, is that whether there are inconsistencies in what he says which are a huge huge number and uh, his general behavior what is the whole point of this the point of this is he wants he feels aggrieved and he's attacking whichever way he can. Probably there are huge, huge discrepancies. That's the main thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that I just hope that, in fact, he just burns out from, mm -hmm. you know, from it. I mean, because we've had enough. 
People uh, must at some point get fatigued. If the Americans well, are getting yes, fatigued I mean, even by the, all the whinging, then... Even the, uh, what you call it, the uh, John, Tom Bradby interview only got, what, 4.1 million views on Sunday, which I thought was quite low. Mm -hmm. Well, just remember, this is just the first in a four-book deal, and uh, we oh. know that Megan's been keeping a diary, so if you, oh. if you thought this was the end of this terrible road, yeah. we've got Megan's autobiography to come out at some point. <laughs> oh, dear. So uh, we're going to move on to a subject that is just about as depressing as this. Uh, we've spoken a lot. Oh, this is the most uh, depressing <laughs> week of the year, isn't it? It, it, it is. It's going to be difficult to top. Yeah. Um, right, well, let's see what 2023 brings us. Mm. Um, but we've talked a lot on this show about um, progressivism in institutions and all these sorts of things. Anybody who's familiar with watching the show will know that. Um, but we haven't spoken about it for a little while, at least, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but, it, but this problem is still going on with names being changed, trigger warnings being put onto things. And it's just, as with Harry and Meghan, that I think the press generally have become a bit fatigued by it. People's interest in it's slightly waning, but it is still going on. Um, and this week, uh, Aberdeen University put a trigger warning uh, on Peter Pan, saying that it's emotionally challenging. Um, and it was listed in a list of books that adults may need support for after reading. Maybe uh, adults may have to watch. May need support for. Like, they may need to be supported after. What's an adult doing reading that anyway? <laughs> um, and... Uh, they said that the reason why it was included on the list was because it included, quote, odd perspectives on gender, but no objectionable material. Or was that Tinkerbell? <laughs> and possibly, I was wondering if that may be what it, what it was. Um, and also this week, um, we've seen Francis Drake Primary School in Lewisham has changed its name to the Twin Oaks because of links to slave trading, which is, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, one, a, it's an old story now, isn't it? That's but. the more sort of, uh, that's the more serious one, I think. I mean, also what I would say, you're saying, uh, you know, that this is still going on. I think absolutely it's going on, and I think it'll continue to go on, and it, it'll spread and spread. It just won't make the news anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is now accepted. There has not been enough resistance to it. M many, you know, honourable souls have really, really tried. But in the case of uh, Sir Francis Drake, it's in Lewisham, which is near where I come from. And uh, they're calling it, not Twin Peaks, what is it? Twin, Twin Oaks. Oaks. Twin Oaks, right, Twin Oaks. Which sounds, you know, it's, it's like the slug and lettuce. It's one of those sort of totally generic, you know, names, names without any kind of roots. Uh, what was I found kind of depressing, but nervous for, was that there was a vote held. Uh, 450 people voted to change this name. About 90% of them were in favour of changing it. That's parents, uh, pupils, and, and teachers. And so you sort of then have to say, well, where is this great public resistance to this? And you could say, well, uh, it's always the classic case that people who are kind of worried about it tend not to come out and vote and things like that, tend not to take mm. part, tend not to protest. But then you sort of think, well, actually, okay, even if you give that. I think, you see, that a lot of these things happening we will look back at one point in the future and say it was inevitable when you have such demographic change. Mm -hmm. uh, I really believe that. I mean, a lot of people say, no, what's it got to do? I think it has. Do you think? Because you'll look, sorry, you'll look, you'll look back mm -hmm. in the future and say, well, look, you know, here was a, in a London school, uh, a largely ethnic area now. Um, you know, of course, it's not even that they're hostile, it just means nothing. 
But also they don't understand anything about Sir Francis Drake. Mm. You know, you very kindly referred me on to mm. the BBC to do a discussion on this. And the, the host of this thing was clearly a BLM supporter. And at one point he said to me, well, the children have decided. And, and I thought, these are children, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, if I gave them a, a six-point multiple-choice question about Francis Drake, yeah. I, I doubt they're going to get and more than fifty percent. Has then, you know, before there was this big mm -hmm. vote, did anyone actually come to give a balanced uh, yeah. view on Sir Francis Drake? Did you have any historians or Drake specialists who actually put the case for him? No. And in this cultural environment of post George Floyd, mm -hmm. it's understandable that you're going to have a majority black or ethnic. Yeah. A school make this decision because they're just thinking with their hearts rather than with their intellect. But it's also the logical consequence of of the way that people are being educated about historical figures. So the way that this was reported is that Francis Drake has slave trading links, and that's because he was on a ship with his cousin that I think transported African slaves. Well, but people, I mean, yeah. when I was at school, and I'm sure that they still do teach that Francis Drake was responsible for pushing back the Spanish Armada, circumnavigated the globe, all of these things that make him very worthy to have his name and on things and statues everywhere. Um, but I wonder, I wonder whether it's a mixture between a kind of bias anyway against our history and against interest in our history, but also just the fact that the, the education that people are getting is loaded. So the people that would have been asked to vote in this will probably have only had the information the school is named after a slave trader or something like something yes, to that effect. That, that's my point. That's and exactly so, my point. And so any any normal logical person would then if they're not if they're not thinking in the terms that we think in, which is that it's it's bad full stop to rename places because you're effacing the history and the material landscape, people don't think in those terms. And so if you're just told the name of this school is af named after it's named after a person who is equivalent to Hitler then of course they're going to say, let's call it the Two Oaks, that's much less offensive, we want to live in a happy, harmonious no, you're community. You're absolutely right, that's true, and, uh, and that, that was my point about having someone there to actually give the mm. other side of the case. And you can't blame the pupils for this, you can't really blame the parents for this, but the teachers you can blame, because we know about the left-wing bias that now exists in our schools. And so whilst I don't think that there's any ulterior motive on behalf of the, those attending and their parents in the school, mm. it is part, as Peter was saying, of this wider cultural onslaught. Because you have to ask, who are people that they're really going after? And it's, it's Drake, it's Nelson, mm -hmm. it's Churchill. The people who epitomize the British, the British spirit of buccaneers, maverick, that independent thinking, this is an attack directly targeted defenders, on British culture. The defenders of Britain. And it's interesting actually, Goldsmith, which isn't down, far down the road from this school, um, have taken over Deptford Town Hall, which has a statue of Drake and of Nelson and of someone else who I forget now. Mm. And the, the university and the college wanted to actually take down those mm. statues. But there was a wider consultation amongst the community and the community were rallied to save it because it's part of their cultural inheritance. And I wonder if you'd had a larger vote around the, the residents of mm -hmm. the school, whether you'd have a similar finding. Mm -hmm. Poss possibly, um, but it, uh, I cleave to my original point. Actually, I, I can't help feeling that these changes, although they might, not in this instance maybe, but in many instances they are, you know, initiated by white liberals, for example. But I think when you look historically, I think you we will see, well, actually, of course, you know, th this history, these figures are you know, this might not even be antipathy to them. It might just be indifference and actual lack of interest and mm. totally meaningless. And also people are being taught, if they're from a minority community, they're being, and even if they've been here for 
generations, they're being taught, actively taught that this isn't their history, that they don't participate in the history of Britain. Even the idea of Black History Month suggests that there is a different history that is theirs, and then there is British history that is white history and is not theirs. And so if you don't feel any kind of ownership over the history of this country, I don't see how you could have any natural instinct to want to kind to want to try and protect it or preserve it. Well, our our general ownership of our history, of our backstories, if you like, has been wrenched away from us. You know, I, I don't know whether you feel this, mm -hmm. but I mean, essentially, our hinterland has been actually taken away from us. Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of people feel very, very bewildered and kind of like in a lost landscape. Do you think? Do you think that this? situation that we're now in when compared to 2020 when we set up Save Our Statues, mm, yeah. whether the situation that we're now in is actually more dangerous because partly because people are fatigued, if the, you know people are hearing about it all the time, the outrage gradually subsides. People have come to expect it, so it's not shocking anymore. Um, it's almost the same story over and over again in different places. Um, and also because those who have been fighting to try and preserve things have had so many significant losses on this front that it's so totally demotivating that I, I just wonder whether now that these, it's exactly as you were saying before, Peter, we've sort of gone through stages of this. First, we had the active attacks on statues where people were graffitiing them, graffitiing pubs, graffitiing street signs. And then we had the institutionalization of it, where it was taken over by the councils, by the mayor of London, by the universities, the museums, and then they were the ones who were who had taken up the mantle of, of getting rid of these things and purging them. And now we've entered into a sort of third phase where these things are just happening in the background and probably a lot of it's going unreported just simply because so much time has passed. And I just, I, I worry that in 10 years time so many of these little things will have been changed but the the landscape of our country and the sort of like presence of our history in it will have just been slowly scrubbed away well, you've only got to look i mean there was a look a bit on twitter for example people put up wonderful bits of old footage and uh in answer to a question you know you you look back at uh some pathé news footage from oh even 1960s or something uh which is what half a century more than uh, people say, how can things have changed so incredibly drastically? Well, of course, it's incremental. It's this little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a bit mm -hmm. there. The difference between uh, then and now, I think, is that it's actually quite undisguised. You know, every single thing that happens is an attack on this country. When we argue about it and we go on GB News and things like this and argue and talk about it, we're constantly looking for kind of if you like, rationale and common sense. Mm -hmm. Things become quite clear, whether you're talking about trans or whether you're talking about history, it is a desire to damage to the point of oblivion mm -hmm. this country and this culture. That is what I believe is behind all of these attacks. Well, and as I've said, you know, we're living, quite frankly, in a post-revolutionary society, so we can't be surprised by what's happening. But my mother's family hailed from Poland, and in 1945 we saw much the same. We saw the pulling down of statues, we saw the renaming of streets, we saw the renaming of institutions. Uh, and here, of course, we've got pulling down of statues, erecting statues of Greta Thunberg, as in this case, renaming schools. 
It's all part of a long and slow process. It's a quiet revolution. We don't yet have any sort of secret police in the streets, although some might actually wonder whether we're beginning to get that. But in every other way, we're seeing a, re a new regime being implemented. I think, uh, yes, and also the, the I, uh, I totally uh, agree with that. But, you know, even just to keep people's morale up, something that we've said all along, why do our leaders not even comment on this? Mm -hmm. You know, there is a chance, is there, with uh, Rishi Sunak, you know, to step away from economics for just for a while and simply say, you know, he, he said recently something like, uh, I want people to care about the location and their nation, didn't he? He mm -hmm. says something like that. Um, but at the same time, it was done in this kind of slightly polytechnic way, had no kind of real, um, you know, ardor about it. They need to come out and say, you know, this, like Macron did, you know, this is our country. Mm -hmm. We do not do this. We do not take statues down. Mm -hmm. We are proud of our history. Not just uh, we've got to recognize all parts of our history. I can't remember a time when we weren't doing that, actually. I fear that now I, the economy is so bad that the chances of that are just diminishing by the day. Just one speech, even. Just to make people feel that the people above are on side. Right. Mm -hmm. That's well, all you need. We, morale. We can pray. Well, this is yeah. a very depressing start to, no, <laughs> to 2023. Happy New Year, Happy New Year everyone. Yeah. Thank you so much <laughs> yeah. for joining us. Please come back and mm. um, please do comment below, like, subscribe. Tell us what you think of the show. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Thank you for watching and we will see you next time on Newspeak. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.